0: Well, if you have a Bible, please take it and turn to uh, the book of Genesis. So we're right at the front there, nice and easy to get to, and we'll be in chapters 1 through 3. Uh, we'll be kind of the main place that we're going to be at this morning, but we'll also be in a lot of um, other passages. We're in the, in the second um, sermon in a series we're calling God's Good News, thinking about what is the core truth of the gospel, well, this is both to remind us so that we can see the beauty of the gospel, so that we can see what are the core elements of the gospel, what do we really need to understand about about uh, the gospel. We're doing this outline of God, man or sin, Christ and response. And so we talked about God last week and we'll talk about sin this week and we'll hit the other two in the coming weeks. Um, and so we want to also be equipped to be able to share the gospel with others, but also um, there may be... Some here who are confused about what the gospel is, and so I want to provide some clarity about what that about what God's good news means. Um, I've got one book left. This is this is a sermon series loosely based on on this book by by Greg Gilbert. He goes through that same outline of God, Man, Christ, response. Um, so one left. You can fight over it. Um, it's it's free for the taking, um, but I'll have it here. And also just remind you, we have these resources. We try to always have them. This is called Two Ways to Live, and this is sort of a version for kids called Who Will Be King? And much of the same outline is in these books. And these are great resources. You know, sometimes a a booklet or a, a tract, to be honest, is just too small. It's too simple. And these really walk us, walk you through what the truth of scripture is on on what the gospel is. And so I invite you to use these um, as much as you can. Well, let me ask you a question. What's what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? That's. I think it's a question that a lot of people are trying to answer and trying to answer it in different ways. In the news, there's certainly been a lot of talk about about guns, about gun control or the right to bear arms, and both of those sort of ideas and whatever's in the middle. That's some form of wanting to bring peace or security to the world, uh, this world that's filled with pain and, and violence, but they're two totally different approaches, um, but they're trying to get at the heart of what's wrong with the world. Others talk about uh, the environment, so issues like global warming. They say People would say that's the greatest threat to the world in our day, and others would say that environmentalists are the greatest threat to our world today. Uh, we see selfishness, we see pride in the world, and we, we think that's what's wrong, and so we say all we need is love. And other people say all we need is some sort of violent revolution to overthrow the government. You know, you see poverty, and there's need. And some people blame that on the government. Some people blame it on the rich. The 99% say it's the 1%'s fault, and the 1% don't really care much about the 99%. Uh, Many talk about education, right? Lack of education, that's the problem in the world. And so we try to make things right. We come up with programs that would leave no child behind. And when that fails, we put in a new program that's caused for every child to succeed. So we come up with all these ideas. All these things are attempts in some way to try to fix what's wrong with the world. But do they get at the heart of what is really wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton famously responded to that question. What's wrong with the world? It was posed by a newspaper to him. and, And various religious leaders would respond. And Chesterton's response was short. He said, Dear Sir... I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. We'll see today that Chesterton is right. If you want to know what's wrong with the world, our gaze should not be out there on everything else that, that is out in the world, but rather we should look inside and realize that the problem with the world is me last week we, we started talking about god's good news and at the core of that of that message of salvation that's in the scripture we we, we talked about this little outline that god man christ response and we talked we talked, uh, talked about who god is who god is presented as in his world and in scriptures and we and we saw that that he is the creator he's the creator of all things including us, and therefore he has authority over this world to say what is right and what is wrong and how we are to live in the world that he has created. Remember, my world, my rules, which could be very daunting to us, except for the fact that we also said God is good. He is filled with mercy and compassion, but he is also holy and righteous. He has to deal with the evil in the world. And while we may want him to take care of the wickedness in the world, we like that idea. God, yes, take care of the wickedness, take care of the evil in this world, but just don't take care of my evil and, and my wickedness. Don't judge me. And this morning we want to think about who we are as, as human beings and introduce this idea of, of sin. You know, it seems a kind of strange to talk. We're gonna This series is God's good news, and now we're going to talk about sin. But Frederick Wichner has written, the gospel is bad news before it is good news. It is the news that man is a sinner, to use the old word, and that he is evil in the imagination of his heart. So when we present the gospel, we can kind of say, I've got good news for you and I've got bad news for you. You know how people say that? Would you like to hear the good news or the bad news first? But with the gospel, no choice. You've got to hear the bad news first because the good news makes no sense unless we understand the bad news about who we are. You know, there's some who take issue with people talking about sin, right? I mean, in the world, nobody wants to talk about sin. And so various religious leaders will sort of capitulate to that feeling and not talk about sin. But the reality is that if you don't like sin, then you won't like the Bible. um, Because it kind of shows up all over the place, from chapter 3 on until it's it's thrown into the lake of fire with death finally. But if we don't want to talk about sin, then we don't get to talk about the Bible. And we don't want to do that. We want to see what the Bible has to say. And the Bible is very clear that sin has to be discussed if we're going to talk about good news. Of course, sin is, is absent from chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. So we talk about God's creation of all things, and we're reminded that it's all very good, including men and women. He says everything is is good. So we can then talk about the fact that the world is is broken, that it's not the way that it's supposed to be, not the way that God intended it. So for something to be broken, there had to be a time when, when it was whole and when it was, was perfect. Maybe you pulled out some Christmas ornaments this year and they were broken. Well, at one time they were, they were whole, but now they are, they are crushed, they are broken, and there's, there's no hope for them anymore. But there was a time, Genesis one thirty one says, that God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was a time when the world was perfect. But when sin enters into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve, God's world is, is marred. Let's talk about sin, about that, that word. What what does that mean? Let's ask three questions this morning. The first question is this, what is sin? So if we're talking to people about who we are. Let's ask, what is sin? Read with me in, in Genesis 2. Look at verse 15 of Genesis 2. God has made everything. He's made Adam. And a little bit after this, he will create Eve. But in verse 15 of chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So here we see that God, the Creator, gives rule. He gives rules for, for Adam's, for Adam to live uh, under. He gives Adam an unqualified yes to everything in the garden, everything you can enjoy, and he gives him one no, just not that one tree. So Satan enters into the scene in chapter three. And he questions this command of of God, and he lies to Eve, and he tells her that what God says is, is not true. So this is the entrance of sin into the world in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Just pause there for a minute. I know a lot of people say Eve sort of adding to God's words there when she says that. I think rather it was sort of this, Let's just not even touch that tree because then we won't eat of it, okay? I think that was maybe Adam said, Don't eat it. In fact, don't even go near it, don't touch it. And so that was the, the 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 law there anyways, so verse four, but the servant the serpent said to the woman, "You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So sin enters into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. So as we're trying to answer this this question, and we look at this picture of what sin is, what is sin? I think the simple answer is this: sin is rebellion against God. Sin is rebellion against God. Isn't that what's going on here? They say here, God says here's. The rule, the law that I give you, and Adam and Eve say, No, we're not going to do what you say. It's rebellion. Like me, you may have heard that sin is missing the mark. Have you ever heard that definition of sin? It's missing the mark of God's righteousness. So it's kind of like a dartboard. If you imagine a dartboard and you, you throw your dart, and you, I've never gotten a bullseye on a dartboard. I don't know if anyone else has, but I've never hit the middle. I've. I've put it in there, and then said, hey, look, I got a bullseye. But I've never actually gotten one. It's, I think it's next to impossible. But that's the, the picture. So Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I think that's a helpful picture, but I don't think it gives us the full picture because I think the, the picture is actually more bleak. In the, this book, what is the Gospel? Greg Gilbert writes this. It's not as if Adam and Eve were trying very hard to keep God's command and just missed the bullseye by a few degrees. No, the fact is that they were shooting in the opposite direction. They had goals and desires that were categorically opposed to what God desired for them. And so they sinned. They deliberately violated God's command, broke their relationship with him, and rejected him as their rightful Lord. I like that. I think that's good. Sin is rebellion. 1 John 3, 4 says sin is lawlessness. It's a rebellion against God's authority in his world. So we saw Romans 1. God... We see that, that God is revealed, the invisible God is re- revealed in his visible creation. And then the point of Romans 1 is, and we see that, and we rebel against it. It says that we suppress the truth about who God is. We we push it down. We don't honor him as we should, but instead we, we commit idolatry. We worship other gods rather than him. We rebel. We're like the Israelites in the wilderness. And just before they go into the promised land, Moses in Deuteronomy 9, 6 to 7, just says this to them know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because you are right because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. That's us. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. That's us. You know, as a father, I have to make distinctions with my children between mistakes or accidents and actual rebellion. So if I get angry about a glass of milk that is accidentally knocked over, that's my fault. That's not my child's fault. It, it's it's a mistake. Now, milk spills probably because of the sin in the world. I don't know. We live in a sin-scarred world. It's fallen, and so that's why we have spilled milk maybe. I don't know. But, but we can all... We all make mistakes in that sense, right? But we can't think of sin just as a mistake. It's not like we have just sort of accidentally knocked over a glass of water, and that's what sin is. Sin is more taking that glass of water and throwing it in God's face and then walking away from him in revolt. That's what sin is. We have to understand the seriousness of sin that's performed against a holy and righteous God, or when we think about his reaction to sin, we'll say he's overreacting. Wayne Grudem says this about sin. Sin is directly opposite to all that is good in the character of God. And just as God necessarily and eternally delights in himself and in all that he is, so God necessarily and eternally hates sin. It is, in essence, The contradiction of the excellence of his moral character, it contradicts his holiness, and he must hate it. What is sin? Sin is rebellion against God and everything that he stands for. In light of that description, some might say, maybe you even say in your heart, That's not me. I mean, I've done some bad things, but I haven't rebelled against God. I mean, I kind of like God. I would say I love God. So we should ask the question, who has sinned? It's obvious in Genesis 3, Adam. We know he sinned. Adam and Eve definitely sinned. He and Eve were given this clear command from God, and they disobeyed. And Adam's sin doesn't just bring death into his own life, but it brought death into God's world and into every human being that has descended from him. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all Sin. Paul explains that death and sin reign because of Adam's sin. And in 1 Corinthians 15 22 he tells us, in Adam all die. So Adam, when he sins, it's not his sin alone, but he as the representative for all humanity, his sin has consequences for all of us. That's a heavy concept, okay? And and so we can think about that. I encourage you to go to Romans 5 and really try to work through that. Some people might Push back against that. How am I held responsible for someone else's sin? And That's a good discussion to have. But if you don't want to have that discussion with someone, you know where you can go, well, if you know who else has sinned? We have sinned. Who has sinned? Adam has sinned, and we have sinned. Every single one of us ha- was conceived in sin, is what um, David says in Psalm 51. And we have all willfully sinned and rebelled against the Holy God. We have said no to God's ways. We have Run away from him. Romans 3.23 is clear. Again, all have sinned. And that verse in Romans 5.12, death through sin. So death spreads to all men. Why? Because all sinned. How deep is our sin? The people of Noah's day were described like this. Every inclination of their heart was only evil all the time. That's the human heart before God without Christ. Jeremiah says of the human heart that it is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And Paul speaks for us all. Romans 7 18. I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Nothing good. Maybe you still want to push back against that, okay? Well, I, I know I sin. I'm just, I, I'm not that bad, okay? 1 John. 1, 8 through 10, brings this reality to bear on us. It says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. So God says we're all sinners, and if we disagree, then either God is lying to us Or we are lying to ourselves. Part of the grace of God in his good news is actually to reveal to us our sin. To let us see that we are rebels against God and that we have sinned. That's a work of the Spirit. And once we see that, we ask our third question, which is what are the consequences of sin? What is sin? It's rebellion against God. Who has sinned? Adam and every other person from Adam. And what are the consequences of sin? The the consequences of sin can be seen throughout our culture, I think. This booklet, Two Ways to Live, it says this. The trouble is in rejecting God, we make a mess not only of our own lives, but of our society and the world. The whole world is full of people bent on doing what suits them and not following God's ways. We all act like little gods with our own crowns competing with one another. The result is misery, The suffering and injustice that we see around us all go back to our basic rebellion against God. By rebelling against God, we've made a terrible mess of things. We have, haven't we? The world is a mess. Why? What's the problem with the world? All of us with our little crowns walking around trying to do whatever we want, and we make the world miserable. That's the consequences for sin in the world. But what about, what about personally? If, if sin is rebellion against the holy God and everyone has sinned, then what's the consequence for my sin? I have sinned against God. To state it simply, I, it, I think it's seen in the scriptures that we've spelled out, is that sin brings death. What's the consequence for sin? Death. Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. It's first of all, whenever we hear the word death, the first thing we think about is physical death, and that is a result of sin. The mere fact that physical death exists in the world is a result of Adam and Eve's sin. Death pa- passes over all people because all have sinned. You know, and it's interesting, sin has a way of bringing about death more quickly, doesn't it? If we rebel against God's laws, it actually brings death more speedily into our lives. You think even about laws in our in our country, most of them are intended to try to prolong your life. Seatbelt laws and speed limits. We lock murderers up. Why? Because we want to live longer. We, we, we get people who are addicted to drugs off the streets. Why? Because we want them to live longer. Because if they continue down this destructive path, they will kill themselves. Sin is a killer in every sense of the word. But when Adam and Eve are said, told that, if they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they will surely die. Yes, physical death is a result, but it's not the only result. And it's not the immediate result, is it? Because they live. They would eventually die, but when they rebelled against God, they also immediately died. So the result, the consequence of sin is death, physical death, and more importantly, spiritual death. Let's think about spiritual death in three ways, okay? What does spiritual death mean? Spiritual death means, first of all, we cannot respond to God as we should. We cannot respond to God as we should. Sin is a problem. What do you do with a problem? You fix it, right? That's what we do with problems. We fix them. So if your drain is clogged, you roll up your sleeves and you call the... I mean, you, you fix the drain, right? You do it yourself with your own two hands. We're like Rosie the Riveter, right? You know that picture? Maybe you don't know her name, but she's the, the lady flexing. We can do it, right? We can do it. We can change the world. There's a song that, on, on a CD where can, I can change the world with my own two hands. We can deal with our sin. And so our inclination as human beings is to deal with sin and to do it by, okay, I've rebelled against God. Fine, I'll do whatever he says. I will keep the law. I can do that. That's how we think about salvation. It's some sort of personal improvement project. It's the way I will do good. My good will outweigh my bad in the end. I'm just going to keep the Ten Commandments. That's doable, right? Okay. Don't commit adultery. I can do that. Don't don't um, don't kill people. Okay. Don't lie ever. Okay. That's a little bit. Don't covet your neighbor's ox. We're good on that, right? So we can do some of it. But what does Jesus do when He shows up? In Matthew 5. He gets to the to the heart of the law. He says adultery is not the only issue. Lust is an issue too. So fantasy in our heads or images on a computer are also a violation of that command. Anger in my heart is just as much a violation of God's law as actually murdering someone. It gets a little bit tougher. If, if we think that we can simply keep the law or try to get our good to outweigh our bad, then we don't understand the depth of our sin. Or maybe we should say, we don't understand the depth of our death. You don't know how dead you really are. We said there's no good thing in us. In the New Testament, in, in Ephesians 2 and other places, the imagery of us apart from Christ is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are enslaved to sin. We are unable to do any good on our own. Romans 8 8 Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, period. Isaiah 64, 6 says, even the good things that we do, what are they before God? Filthy rags. People want to talk about freedom at this point, right? But I'm free to choose, right? I'm free to choose to not sin. I'm free to choose obedience. You are free. We are all free. But we are so marred by sin that we choose sin every single time apart from Christ. You want to be free to choose? You have free will. And because of Adam's sin and your, your broken heart before God, you will sin every single time. So we cannot respond to God as we should. Secondly, we are separated from God. We are separated from God. That's our key verse for this week. Really gets at this idea in Isaiah 59, 1 to 2. Behold. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What's the picture of creation with Adam and Eve and God? They are together in the garden. Adam walks with God. But after the fall, we see in in Genesis 3, verse 8, Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And he goes on, but that picture there is, rather than Adam walking in fellowship with God, they're hiding from him. And this is what happens to us in our sin. We hide from God and we should hide from God because we have sinned against him. My kids hide when they do wrong things. If I don't see Jude for a little while... What's he doing? Because we all have experienced this, right? You go and find them. But, but because of our sin, we are we are God's enemies now. God is holy. He is righteous. His stance towards us is no longer that of a loving father, but of a righteous judge. And there's no denying our guilt before him. We are separated from him. We are separated from him here and now. and And that will ultimately mean... Complete separation from him forever. That's the final consequence for sin. That's the final part of spiritual death. We will be eternally condemned. We will be eternally condemned is what spiritual death means. Hell and judgment are not some invention of twisted people. But they are the right response of a holy God to people who rebel against him. Rebellion against an eternally holy God brings eternal punishment. And God is certainly loving and good, but he is also holy and he is just. And in light of our sin, we need to think about what Jesus says. He tells us, don't fear people that can just kill the body. He says, I warn you him to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Our God is good, but he is holy and righteous, and we have all sinned and rebelled against him. And so death comes into our lives. Yes, physical death, but spiritual death. We can't do anything that we're supposed to do in relation to God. We cannot do what he has asked us to do. We are separated from God. We are not in fellowship with him. We are apart from him. Maybe you've seen that bridge illustration that starts where we're on either sides of the chasm, and there's no way to get across to him. And if we remain in that state and we die with unforgiven sin, we will be eternally condemned. We will die for all eternity because of our sin. I thought this was about God's good news, right? We have to hear the bad news before we hear the good news. And the good news begins with God. Remember, he's the creator of all things, he created each of us. He is good, he is holy, he is righteous. And then it has to do with man. It has to do with with sin. Men and women like you and like me. You know, as I'm talking to someone, we're trying to think about how you're talking to someone. If you explain who God is, and one way to to start talking about sin is we say, you know, God has the rightful authority in this world, and but but we we reject His authority, and we make we make a mess of our lives. You know, think about those three questions. Maybe as you're talking to someone, or maybe you just in your own heart even now. What is sin? Sin is rebellion. Who has sinned? Adam has sinned, and everyone else has sinned. And what are the consequences of sin? The consequence is death. Physical death, but spiritual death. And you can't do what you're supposed to do to be right with God. And, and you are separated from God who loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. And if you remain separated from him, the consequence will be eternal death. When we talk about sin rightly, we help people to see the beauty of the gospel. When we talk about God rightly, we help people to understand why he must respond to sin the way that he does. And so we have to give the bad news before we give the good news. I think it was John Stott who said if he had five minutes to share the gospel with someone, he'd spend four minutes talking about sin and judgment. Because we have to be lost before we can be saved. As a camp counselor, for a few years and we would talk to kids about the gospel and they would respond and they'd want to talk about you know, what salvation was and often I would sit down I can remember multiple times sitting down and talking with them and saying well, do you understand what sin is? yes I understand what sin is have you ever sinned? no the conversation's over at that point because if you haven't sinned you don't need a savior I remember being in a Sunday school class and asking kids have you ever sinned? one little girl raised her hand my brother one time We have to get to the place where we see our own sin and then we see that we need a Savior. We need a Savior. But our natural inclination is to assume that what is wrong in the world is is out there somewhere. That's what's wrong with the world. And the solution is right here. It's me. I can find the solution. But the opposite is true, isn't it? What's wrong with the world? Me. The, The problem is me. And where is the solution? It's out there, it's in Christ. Jesus is the solution to our sin problem. And we'll talk about that more in depth next week, but I don't want to leave you without telling you about the, the hope of the gospel. Isaiah 45, says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. That's the verse that Spurgeon heard when he came to Christ. Turn to me and be saved. Jesus Christ has come. He has come to fulfill the law. He has come to do what God said. We cannot do what we're supposed to do but Jesus has done it for us. We are separated from God and Jesus was separated from the Father and died so that we could be reunited with Him. Jesus takes hell upon Himself in His death on the cross. And if we respond with repentance and faith, we can be made right with Him. Let me give you two responses. If this is news to you, you've never responded to the Gospel, you you never really fully understood it, I'm just going to give you, this is a hard conversation. Maybe you want to talk to someone a little bit more about what this is. Um, I'd encourage you, you can talk to Joel, you can talk to myself, you can talk to any of the members of this church, and they will walk you through a little bit more in detail of what this means. So I would just say this, if you're talking to someone, you could just say, tell me more about this. So That's just a simple phrase, because sometimes it's hard to get into that conversation, isn't it? Just say, could you tell me more about what we talked about this morning? I encourage you to do that. Now is the day of salvation. But the truth is that if we are in Christ, then what we realize is that God has opened our eyes to our sin. He's helped us to see how much we have rebelled against him. And I think part of what we need to do is to give thanks to God for that. But even to stop and to say, God, continue to open my eyes to my sin. Help me to see how I continue to rebel against you. Help me to walk after you. And then, and then we want to let others see. We want to, we want to have this heart that says, "I'm going to go." The problem with the world isn't anything else except the fact that people have sinned, and I need to help them see that, not in a judgmental way, but rather saying, "I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and Jesus is the Savior of the world." And so, I, I think as we we think about that, if I could, um, uh, threw it away. Never mind. I was going to read the last part of our Advent poem, but I forgot that I was going to do that. And so I threw it away. Um, but thinking about how the shepherds respond and how Mary responds, what does Mary do? She ponders these things in her heart. I think that's part of our response. Let's ponder these things. Let's think about the reality of sin and how deep it is. But what do the shepherds then do? They go and they tell. They, they, they go out and they tell anyone and they don't care. When anyone else thinks about them, they tell others the good news. And that's what we are called to do as followers of Christ. Let's take a moment of, of silence and think on these things, and then I will close this in prayer. Lord God, we once again confess that You are the Creator of everything that we see. You are our Creator. You have made us in your image but you are good, you are holy, you are righteous. And we are not, Though we have sinned against you, we have rebelled against you. And we have made a mess of our lives and of this whole world. I want to open our eyes to see our sin. Lord, I want to pray for those that may be apart from you, they've never confessed and repented of their sin and put their faith in Christ. Lord, let them see how deep their sin is. And Lord, if we have, turned to you. Help us to see, Lord, that it's not because of anything good in us. It's because of the goodness of God in Christ. Lord, we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are dead, and we need to be made alive again. Lord, forgive us, because having been justified by grace, we try to be perfected by works. And that's so wrong. Lord, help us to see that in us dwells no good thing, but by Your Spirit we can walk with and please You. And so, Lord, I pray You would, for those of us who have put our faith in You, that You would let us confess our sin quickly and run to You and follow after You in faith. Holy Spirit, help us to walk in ways that please You. We are now able to do it where we couldn't before. Thank You for Christ. We pray all this in His name. Amen.